This is Healthcare Strategies. This podcast was recorded remotely due to the coronavirus pandemic. As a result, the quality may be a little lower than our usual standards. We appreciate your patience as we practice social distancing. From all of us at Intelligent Healthcare Media, stay healthy, stay safe, and enjoy the latest episode of Healthcare Strategies. Hello, and welcome to Healthcare Strategies. I'm Kelsey Waddell, editor of Healthpayer Intelligence. Today we are joined by Dr. Dan Golder, principal at Impact Advisors. Dan has been at Impact Advisors for over seven years, providing consulting on a spectrum of topics, including digital healthcare and telemedicine, financial forecasting and cost modeling, healthcare regulations, and more. Prior to his position at Impact Advisors, Dan worked at Cheyenne Regional Medical Center as their Epic Enterprise Project Director and Director of Clinical Informatics, and has taught and practiced at both the University of Michigan and SUNY at Buffalo, where Dan received his Doctor of Dental Surgery degree, as well as his MBA. Today, we will be discussing information blocking. The Office of the National Coordinator, or the ONC, defines information blocking as a practice by health IT entities, providers, or other relevant healthcare stakeholders that is likely to interfere with access, exchange, or use of electronic health information, EHI. The ONC passed a final rule in 2020 that required relevant stakeholder entities to eliminate information blocking of electronic health information under the United States Core Data for Interoperability, USCDI. And later, the rules definition will expand to include all electronic health information. We are here to discuss how health systems, health IT developers, and other relevant entities can prepare to comply with this rule. Hi, Dan. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Kelsey. It'll be a great, great topic and looking forward to uh, bantering this around a little bit. Same here. So to start off with, The ONC has provided two deadlines, the April 5th, 2021 deadline for the rule to go into effect, and then the October 6th, 2022 deadline for the rule to be expanded to include all electronic health information. Um, And so I'm wondering what compliance measures should health systems, health information networks, and other relevant stakeholders prioritize as they are preparing for these deadlines? Yeah, that's a great start. And uh, I think the key thing to remember is that uh, the April 5th date while that is limited to the USCDI as the set of information that we need to send, ONC still references EHI even for the April deadline. So they're trying to really set the stage for EHI, and I think folks need to remember that. But the applicability date, uh, which is interesting, is again, ONC changed the, the wording there. It's not really a deadline, but they're calling it the applicability date of April 5th really encompasses USCDI. And that should be comfortable for folks to a certain degree because it's very similar to the CCDS, the common clinical data set that folks are already used to. We've added two new elements because of that, really clinical notes and provenance are the two biggies. And clinical notes, you know, that may be the hard one for folks because it brings up a lot of conversations about what we should share and what we should not share. So things like behavioral health notes, and potentially lab results like Huntington's disease have been really big topics. And the thing to remember here, information blocking, I would say it's not really a technical challenge. It's organizational policies and decisions and making the hard choices 
of things like when to release notes, which notes to release, how do we want to release lab results, and do we want delays in there? So that's, that's kind of the challenge here. So I want folks to remember it's not really technical. It's not hard. It's, uh, it's organizationally and making hard decisions that's the tricky part. Now, when we talk about EHI, uh, the October 5th deadline, that is the hard one, and that's potentially very challenging. Why? That includes the entire suite of software that we use as healthcare providers, and that will include even systems that are not ONC certified. So it's really where is your information stored? And folks have to really think about what do they need to do now to prepare for this? So understand where your PHI and your EHI is stored. Get that inventory going. Think about the outliers. So we've talked to organizations where maybe they've got a critical access hospital somewhere and it uses a different EHI. Maybe they use Epic as the enterprise, but that, that CA uses a different system. So this isn't about Epic or Cerner or Meditech or Athena. This is about everything else. And EHI is going to be hard. So take home message there. You need to start thinking about EHI now. It's, it's October 5th of 22, but that's going to come up quickly. And I'm like talking tomorrow. Get started on EHI now for uh, folks that are listening. Excellent. Yeah, thank you for kind of going over that and especially some of the wording there too. So as providers and, and the relevant entities are striving to adjust, what kinds of mistakes should they be careful to avoid when they're preparing to comply with this rule? Yeah, this is really an interesting one. And I think we've got a number of lessons learned from the clients that we've worked with. So I'm going to touch upon some, some high-level ones here. And, and one I started with already, this is vendor agnostic. This is not about the EHR. This is about the organizational decisions. So if you want to frame it, think about it as 5% EHR, build, technical, configuration, et cetera. It's 95% making the hard organizational decisions. So that's mistake number one. People come into this thinking, oh, I just have to build a few things in my EHR and I'll be set. And yes, there's some build, but the hard part is making the decisions. Second point, understanding your state law. So this is really critical. Now, these rules are federal rules, but state law trumps the federal rules. So if you've got something, for example, like a state law that governs how adolescents access their EMR and different privacy rules for adolescents, that will take precedence over the information blocking rules. So you need to make sure you understand the state law context with respect to information blocking. It's not just what's in the O1C final rule. Next mistake, this is a balancing act. And what I mean by that is the decisions we make balance the risk of being accused of information blocking with typically the risks of releasing information, which include things like patient harm. And there's no correct answer here. Now, while the rule says, hey, let's release things as immediately as we can, when you, you start discussing this with physicians, physicians will say, well, wait a minute, there's some exception cases here. There's things like Huntington's disease where we may not want to release information right away. So organizations have to balance those two risks. And that's what makes the decision so very difficult. Okay, next up, understanding the rule. Now, the rule is huge. It's well over a thousand pages. And folks feel that complexity is difficult. 
they then will typically, we see them jumping to conclusions. And by that, I mean, they say things like, well, if I have a challenge here, I'll just claim the privacy exception, or I'll just claim the security exception without really understanding the prerequisites that are involved. And, and that's where the detail of the rule becomes very important. So folks need to understand you need the depth of understanding to make the right decision. And we can't just jump to a conclusion because of the name of the exception. Hey, it's a privacy thing. I'm good. Next up, folks get hung up a little bit right now on USCDI and they start making decisions that are maybe too granular. And I would encourage folks to think more on the EHI level where we're including everything. For example, folks might say, hey, uh, dictated reports. Do we include them or do we not in information blocking? And it's a little vague on the USCDI front. But when we talk about EHI, we know we need to include that. So a lot of folks are now saying, hey, look, if we look at the bigger picture, we'll just include it anyway. So don't get hung up on USCDI. Next, don't forget there's a companion document from CMS on interoperability and patient access. The two rules go together. So when we talk about information blocking, we also need to make sure we talk about the interoperability and patient access rule. That includes things like provider digital contact information, and very importantly, the ADT event notification that is linked to CMS's conditions of participation for hospitals. So a huge deal. We don't want to forget that rule as we're going through this. And my last recommendation for folks is they get into this, they learn this. This is not a one and done. EHI will go on ad infinitum and the rule will continue to evolve. The USCDI data set will continue to evolve and more and more information will be required. So those are some tips maybe and lessons learned for folks as we've worked with people to implement the rule. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. It seems like one of those key pieces is like seeing the whole picture of how this fits into our, our movement towards interoperability as an industry. And we'll definitely get to that in a second. I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts on that. But before we get to that, uh, one of the things I was also wondering, and you kind of touched on this a second ago, some vendors and stakeholders have had reservations about this rule, uh, most notably Epic who was pretty vocal about it in uh, early 2020, arguing that the rule could put patient privacy at risk. And so I was just wondering, of course, it is the law now, but um, what would you say to those who are still skeptical about you know, the downstream impacts that this rule could have? That's an interesting one. So I actually agree with Epic. I think the risks here cannot be underestimated, the risks to privacy. So here, here's what I'll say to that, right? With this rule, we have APIs that are going to be part of the certification criteria for software, which means that apps can now access health information. Now, the good news is that patients will control which apps access their information. But here's what I want to ask folks. How many apps do you have right now on your phone and have, have you really reviewed what data they collect and how they share it? And that's the risk that I see because folks typically will download an app. They'll say, this is cool. I want to use it. And they don't really recognize how their data is shared. And with health information, the risk here is hugely amplified. So the worry I have with respect to information blocking isn't necessarily organization to organization sharing hospital to hospital or health system to health system. It's that patients may, without knowing it, release their health information via an app permission and um, 
Once that's out in the open, it's out and, and you've lost your privacy. So I, I actually am still a little concerned on that. Yeah. So I'm curious what you foresee as the next step in this movement towards broad scale interoperability as an industry. Yeah, there's a lot of good ones there too. And, and a lot of this is hinted at and there's intersections of rules and things that are coming down the road. So we'll touch on a couple ones. One we hit already, EHI, right? That's the big one. This is a game changer. And that's essentially being able to exchange all the health information. And that will be essentially part of information blocking as we get to that, that date in the future. So that's big. And I want to, we've touched on it already. Another thing that'll be a game changer, there is a uh, ONC certification requirement for population level EHI export, and that's due December 31st of 2023. And that requires all EHI for a population. So think of a physician's practice or even a health system in its entirety to be able to be exported electronically and then imported back into another EHR. So the intent for this is really to say, hey, if a, if a physician wants to switch vendors, EHR vendors, or switch uh, hospitals, switch employers, that they can take the bulk package of their EHR information and migrate it to a different system. So talk about interoperability, that's a huge one. So that will be interesting to see that evolve. Another item that's going to change our world is TEFCA. So that's the trusted exchange framework and common agreement. And essentially, that is a new uh, structure for HIE that the ONC is sponsoring. And there is now a recognized coordinating entity. It's the Sequoia Project that is moving that forward. That is underway. And everyone will essentially be strongly encouraged. We'll see how that encouragement goes to connect to TEFCA. So that will improve interoperability as well. And lastly, I referenced that uh, patient access and interoperability rule from CMS. Well, one of the things that's in there is a payer and provider API interconnectivity for CMS payers. So things like Medicare Advantage and CHIP and Medicaid Managed Care. Those government-sponsored payer plans are going to be exchanging data much more robustly because of that rule. And that will change things. And linked to that, we see some of the vendors starting to offer similar things. Amazing technology, amazing stuff, amazing ways to improve our interoperability. So the vendors are getting ahead of this. But those are a couple couple bullets there, things that I'm gonna be watching as we go through the next couple of years. Great, well, um, thank you so much, Dan, for your time today and for these thoughts. I mean, this is just, as we were saying, very timely and very critical for the industry to be aware of and for the leaders listening to this podcast to be aware of. So yeah, thank you so much for your time and for your thoughts. Oh, thank you for the opportunity. As I said before, it's a fun topic and it's great to be able to reach out and have the conversation with folks. And now for our listeners, how are you preparing for the ONC's rules to go into effect? Tell us what your organization is up to by sharing this episode on Twitter and tagging us at, at EHR Intel. We look forward to hearing from you. This has been an Intelligent Healthcare Media production.